everybody, welcome to another episode of Adeline Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host, the most, as always, Adeline Marcy. And as I said, Legends Tour. I keep saying this week in, week out. We have the Legends Tour on Season 4. Uh, and today I'm joined by another legend. He co-founded Mind Valley uh, with... His name now escapes me. Wow, this is really embarrassing. Never mind. We'll keep it. It'll come to me later on. Um, with yeah. Vishen Lakiani. Thank case you. Give me that extra help. <laughs> oh, thank you. I was like, I know his name starts with V. I was like, why can I not remember Vishen? And it, it's crazy. But Vishen's amazing as a person, as well as uh, my next guest, who just corrected right now. And I'm pretty sure I might say his first name a little bit wrong. Um, but it's Ajit Nawalka. Uh, he is. Did I say that correctly, or did I? Did I? Completely. You said it absolutely right, Adil. Fuck yes. Sorry. Couldn't resist. You have to like, <laughs> guys that are not listening before the show, I asked them like three times. So I could get it right because my brain is one of those weird and wonderful places. Anyway, so today we're going to be speaking with uh, Ajit and his entire philosophy around what he's been doing, just what he's been up to. And of course, he has a new book out as well, which we're going to be speaking about. But before we get into that, just a quick shout out to today's sponsors, uh, which are, of course, uh, adelamarcy.com go there check out previous episodes of the podcast as well as today's uh, main sponsor which is of course um, livebigthebook.com which is Ajit's book and it's it looks really good like from what I've seen it looks really, really good on the synopsis and it comes out around the same time the show should be going live which is epic so welcome to the show I am excited to be here Adel Man, I'm glad to have you on here. So, real quickly, like right now you're in LA, but as far as I know, you've been kind of like bouncing around the world for a little bit of time, right? Absolutely. I was born in India uh, several decades ago at this point. I was born in <laughs> India in a small town called Jaipur. Uh, and from there, I spent the first half of my life there, first 24 years of my life there, just working with student organizations and completing my education. My family still lives there. But then I then I started traveling. I lived in Malaysia for about seven years, uh, and then I've been around the world for the past two and a half years. And now, in the past year, I've moved to LA, Los Angeles. That's awesome. I love the whole fact that you actually have lived in different places and kind of like branched out. Now, curiously, obviously, I'm going to say this first because there's a lot of people that have this question me personally as well. Because um, even though I'm a fan of Mind Valley, I actually had no idea that you co-founded it until my friend Josh Aguirre had told me about it. And immediately mm -hmm. I was like, I want this guy on my show because Josh knows I love having like interesting people here. And you interested <laughs> the hell out of me. So I was like, yeah, totally go into it. So how did you end up co like becoming the co-founder uh, of Mind Valley? So the story is a little bit i'll take the story a little bit uh backtrack a little bit and so, so you can understand the context of of that coming through uh, so i like i told you I, I was born in india a small town called jaipur and I, I i had very humble beginnings like really really humble we were 23 people sharing a house and so it was not an abundance of a space or or wealth per se we were comfortable uh for whatever comfortable it can be but at the same point in time it was a lot of people and that drove me very early on to create abundance in my life in context of space and context of wealth as well, uh, which got me to 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 try out things that are very early in life and, and take risks really early in life, uh, which got me to first join a student organization called ISEC, and it all comes around is why I'm telling you all of this. Um, it, so I joined a student organization, which got me uh, into really understanding that there is a world of opportunity that lies ahead of us if we choose to take that experience. 
I was on track to be an engineer and I quit that joining ISAC uh, because that showed me the possibility that lies if you just follow what you really love to do. Um, and that organization showed me the world. I got to interact internationally with a lot of different people, uh, which would also gave me give me my first job at a media house in India, which was which was a sales job, um, which got me excited about internet because it was a media company that I was a part of. Uh, mm -hmm. And I started a company at that point in partnership with that media house. And as I started that company, uh, Facebook became a big deal and we were building a social network ourselves. So we kind of like, you know, lost the track there. We we're a little behind the rest of the world. Uh, so that startup didn't really work out, but it got me introduced to the internet to a degree where I was fascinated about the possibilities of internet. This is 2006, 2007 we are talking about. So in India, the internet was still new. Uh, yeah. I know internationally it was getting some traction, but in India it was still the dial-up times, you know, the internet which connects through the phone, and if somebody mm -hmm. picks up the phone, the internet disconnects. Yeah, it was yeah. those years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so I, that that was the time when uh, when when I got introduced and excited about the internet, and and so as the startup was blowing up in the sense of not really working out, uh, I had to make a decision of what do I want to do next. I was invited, of course, to join back the media house. Uh, that I had co-founded the company with, but I was very sure I wanted to do something in the lines of internet. And so I reached out to a few friends, one of them being one of my interns at the startup that I had started. And he had gone back to join ISEC in Malaysia, which was the student organization that I was a part of before. And he told me about this little company. He was like, there's like 10, 15 employees and they seem to have a really fun culture and they, they're doing something interesting in the internet. I don't fully understand it, but you should check it out. That company was Mind Valley. Wow. Uh, so Mind Valley was about four or five years into business at that point. Very new, very young company. Vision had just co-founded, uh, had just founded it with with one other different business partner, um, and uh, and the company was taking off uh, a little bit, but it wasn't there to the degree that you see it today. Um, so I joined the company as an intern because I had quit all of the jobs and I just wanted to do something else. And so I was willing to take a pay cut. I was willing to take a chance. Uh, and so I joined as an intern about a decade ago. At this point, it was actually. December 18, 2008 is when I joined Mind Valley as an intern. Um, and then in six years, I would progress in the company and help the company grow to the size that everybody knew Mind Valley, knew Mind Valley Academy, uh, and all of that good stuff that has led, that led me to get equity in the company and become a co-founder of the company. In the process, I started many other companies in partnership with Mind Valley as well. So, so that's how I became a co-founder. So I became a co-founder actually not as when the company was starting. I became a co-founder eventually as the company grew and as it took a new shape than what it was previously. Uh, so Mindvalley was a very different company when I joined and Mindvalley is a very different company today and that's why um, I got to be the co-founder of the company. Dude, that is a pretty badass story. I love that. I just love that how you basically worked your way up to where you are and it's incredible because those stories are really... Well, they're told, but rarely are they shared on podcasts about the true journey of someone takes. Because a lot of the times, like, oh, I, you know, I had nothing but lived in a good place. You're like, dude, I was sharing a house with 23 people that I was related to. <laughs> and I managed to pull myself back out of that kind of situation, you know, and have all this yeah. stuff happen. So that's really incredible. Now, I, I do have a question that I'm really curious about because as I was looking through a lot of the ways that we were connected and 
doing a little bit of research, I found that you are you essentially help people with entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial. I can't speak English though. Entrepreneurial anxiety <laughs> um, yeah. to find their purpose, passion, their bliss. And as someone, it's kind of interesting that you actually teach this because right now where I'm at mentally, uh, by the time this show comes out, I should have already gone past this, but like at the time of recording, it's essentially my brain is um, going through a situation where it's like, okay, I'm leaving one thing and I'm trying to find my bliss and try and find, uh, not trying, I'm finding my bliss. I'm finding what I'm, oh, I'm passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm curious, what is this entrepreneurial anxiety about? Like, what is it exactly? So if you talk to any entrepreneur and and adult, you're probably experiencing that right now, but what happens is we get really anxious as entrepreneurs because of certain expectations that we set on ourselves or expectations that the world sets on ourselves. So firstly, let me just do a disclaimer for everybody who is an entrepreneur right now listening to this podcast, or if you are somebody who has ever thought about being an entrepreneur or somebody who puts themselves on the line we are one of the most bravest people that is out there, especially if you're in the public eye, uh, because we don't only set ourselves up for saying, hey, listen, I'm going to create a company out of thin air. I'm just going to put all my money or whatever funding I can get from people. So I'll take that risk of taking public shame, of taking money from people or my own money, and I'm going to put it on the line to this idea that is in my head. Like really think that's what an entrepreneur is doing. And then I'll do one better. I'll put my put myself into public eye. Like you, Adil, right now you're in public eye. People could love this podcast or could hate it. They can take a jab at you and you can't do nothing about that, right? You will be taking those punches as many as they come, right? So you're not only putting all your money, all your time, all your effort into this one idea that you have, but you're also telling the world that they can take a shot at you. Right. And of course, there will be some people who will take a shot at you, not because they're bad people, but they might be in a bad place. Right. So so that's first of all, the pressure of being an entrepreneur is insanely high on our emotional selves, not on our physical selves, but on the emotional and our physical, our emotional and our spiritual bodies. It's really, really intense because you're fighting all of this at any given time. So it's a brave thing to do. And people don't recognize that until they actually see it from the lens that I just shared with you. Right. So that's the first thing. And now what happens because of all of that, there is certain expectations that we set for ourselves. And sometimes the world sets for ourselves. For example, what is the goal that you have for this year uh, in, in your entrepreneurial journey? And you don't have to be specific. You can just be general. So I can give you context here. OK, so let's just pick a goal. It's to automate part of my business that's info product training. Cool. So let's say you want to automate your part of your business for info product training. And let's just put a hypothetical goal that you set yourself out to say, I'm going to automate it and be able to generate, say, a million dollars a year. And this is hypothetical. I'm not saying that's your goal, whatever your yeah. goal is, right? Replace it with that, right? So let's say you go, I want to generate a million dollars, right? Why is that the goal? Usually the point really that comes down to, and I've talked to enough entrepreneurs, and I don't want to put you on the spot because that's not what we committed to, but if usually when I would ask an entrepreneur is say, hey, listen, why do you have that as a goal? Usually they go, well, because, and then they will stop because they don't know why they set that goal. The goal just comes either as an external expectation because that is how the world talks about revenue. It's like, oh, I have a million dollar business. That's the headline that you see everywhere. Guess what? What is our goal? To have a million dollar business. Doesn't mean it makes you happy. It doesn't mean if that's the true goal for you. It's not your North Star. It's just simply because the world is telling you, hey, that's a million dollar business. Seems like a great thing to say on a 
blog post or a video or an email campaign is why we have a million dollar goal. Or sometimes we know what it may look like to have a million dollar business, but we have no clue how it feels like, right? So the goal are really set very abruptly and unconsciously. They're not usually set consciously. And because of that, what happens is we set an unrealistic expectation, good or bad in a way, to meet at a very tight timeline, right? But here is here is the caveat, of, and that creates anxiety because now you have created an expectation of yourself. For example, let's say uh, this December, because this podcast is going to come out in December. In December, you set out a goal for next year, end of 2019. You say, hey, I'm going to have a million-dollar company right? What do you feel immediately as the first thing? You feel anxiety about it because you yeah. don't know how to get there. You've just put a random goal and hoped that you will get there, right? It's not product focused. It's not service focused. It's not saying, how do my clients win? It's usually, this is the revenue number I want to hit, right? And that's because we think that's the right goal to have, but that goal is even arbitrary, right? So that's that's the challenge and that creates expectation and that expectation creates anxiety because now you have to get to a million dollars without giving a shit about what your clients are going to feel while you actually take that journey, right? Now, what I intend to do with entrepreneurs is to, is to ask a question that hopefully will move the line for everyone and re- release that anxiety. The question is, if you get into business, how long do you want to be in business? Yeah. 10, 20, 30 years, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to be in business for the next one year and then not do business, right? If you're a real entrepreneur who really likes to do business and enjoys the process of it and finds it exciting you don't want to be in business for the next six months you want to be in the business for six years 60 years if possible and have a business that actually lasts your goes beyond your lifetime idly right that's usually what a real entrepreneur dream is that the business just works it doesn't mean that you have to work 18 hours every day but it just simply means that the business works and if that's the case why have a goal that is absurd and, and creates anxiety for the next one year right? You could hit the million dollar goal in three years from now. You can make a $10 million goal in five years or 10 years from now, which will not give you anxiety, but put you in a place of saying, what is the product that wins? What is the service that wins? What's the lifestyle that I want for myself that wins, right? And that will change the dialogue of the anxiety that one feels when they're creating a business. For example, like your goal that you mentioned previously on this conversation was, I want to automate my business, right? There is no timeline to you automating a business. The anxiety is created mostly because you say in the next one month or in the next three months or in the next five months, that's what creates anxiety. Now, I'm not trying to say don't have a timeline for your goals. You need to have a timeline because that gets you motivated. But if the motivation and anxiety balance is disproportionate, where you feel more anxiety about the goal versus motivation, you probably set yourself up to an expectation that you may want to reconsider. And that's really what entrepreneurial anxiety is about. A simple trick to get past this is whatever goal you set yourself for a year, move it to five years from now. So let's say if you had a million dollar goal for the end of 2019, make it five years from now, you'll have a million dollar goal. There are two secrets to that. Firstly, you will hit that goal in about three years. That's usually what happens. Secondly, what will happen is immediately you'll fall into a place of saying, if I was to create this business for five years from now, what would I do today? So you start thinking about your business on a long term instead of thinking what's the quick fix. You start to ask the better question of saying, what is it that will create a lasting business? Not something that will last two days or one campaign, but something that will last the test of time. Yeah. That's a whole different mindset to actually live in as well, especially 
Wow. So you've actually blown my mind a little bit here, which is awesome. <laughs> because I'm thinking about going, okay, how do I reverse engineer this in my business and what I want to do? So it's quite interesting, especially with that little distinction that um, usually that you will hit your goal you, relatively sooner. The longer time you have, you usually hit your goal a lot sooner than you expect. So I guess my I'm next question, go on. No, I was disagreeing with you. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. I thought I was gonna. I thought you had like a bit more that you wanted to add to that. But I was gonna say something just to kind of like fo follow down that pathway because again, you do. I don't want to give away everything that's in the book because this is actually something you do teach in the book. I'm very curious about it. Is what is an exercise that you would give someone to find their purpose or more or less find their passion, um, and what they want. So there is there are two different in in the book as well. We talk about it separately and generally in life as well. So I'm gonna give you context of the book, but at the same point in time, these are theories. What we're trying to do in the book is to give a perspective and an inside shift, like distinctions and stuff like that. The thing that you just heard and now you're going to go think about it. And that's how you'll create a real transformation in your life. And that's our intent in the book. So what I'm going to talk about is that. And plus, I'll give one strategy for you to consider, right? The strategies come as a bonus to the book. So once you have I've got the insight, and if you really need some hand-holding after that, we also give a free course for people to go ahead and check it out and actually use the strategies that I give to my clients for people to be able to, for entrepreneurs to be able to actually utilize those strategies to create results in their lives, right? But but even an insight and a perspective shift is enough for, for, for individuals because I also believe all entrepreneurs are outrageously smart. They discount themselves mostly because of, the, again, the external validation, external conversations, but most entrepreneurs, are outrageously smart as well and just a distinction can create a transformative result in their business now coming back to the question of passion so passion firstly one must realize and all entrepreneurs must realize that all of us as human beings are multi-passionate individuals we are all multi-passionate individuals it means we don't have one passion we have many passions it's the one that we pick and choose and run with so what happens with entrepreneurs sometimes is because we're entrepreneurial, right? We are all quick starts most of the time. And even if you're a slow start, we like starting things. And that's why you become an entrepreneur because you're creative and you want to do something different all the time. But what happens is often our energies get defocused because we almost start a completely new thing again and again, and again right? Something that does not leverage on the thing that we already had. And that's because we think of, oh, I'm passionate about, say, writing and then I'm passionate about video. So I'm gonna start two completely different businesses, one on writing and one on video. Well, that's not really a very smart way to go about creating and working on your passions. Firstly, there you are going to be multi-passionate. Some are, are entrepreneurial and can be created in a, into a business and some are just not really that smart. For example, I am passionate about writing a lot, right? Which is why I'm a writer, I write books, right? And I write email calls. Copy, I don't write sales letters, I'm a writer, writer, more than a copywriter, I'm a writer, right? Because I love that, right? But at the same point in time, I love cooking. But that doesn't mean I'm gonna go out and start a restaurant. I cook for my wife, I cook for my friends, but I don't, I'm not gonna go out and start a restaurant because yes, I'm passionate about it and I study it like crazy, but that's not what is going to be a successful entrepreneurial venture for me in the way I operate. At least that's my understanding of how I have kind of outlined my passions and said, hey, this is the passion that I love to do and this is in my free time and that I would do it and these are the passions that will become a business, right? So the understanding of passion and that's the underlying creation of business is usually 
that you start a business usually in the tangent of areas that you're passionate about. It could be technology, it could be writing, it could be uh, teaching, it could be education, it could be coaching, it could be anything. But usually it's in the tangent of whatever you're passionate about. But you got to know what passion is actually profitable and what passion is your passion still and you can do whatever fuck with it you want but don't make it a business because it doesn't matter it's not going to create a profit so there are certain passions that are entrepreneurial business friendly and there are other passions which are not business friendly so just be careful and don't do the passions that are not business friendly so that's the first bit that we must understand about passion now purpose purpose the 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 way people tend to write their purpose is something that they hope they will achieve in their lifetime, right? And that's one of the, what I've found is that's one of the wrong things to do with purpose because that, that purpose, when it comes close to actually achieving it, because anything that you set your mind to, and I'm a strong believer of that, and follow up on, uh, if you set your mind to it and you follow up on it, you will tend to achieve it. Purpose should be something that is almost as if it's utopia. It's like the horizon. You never meet it, and you should never meet it. You should only be chasing it. It's a, it's almost like a goalpost that keeps moving and you make sure that that goalpost is so far out that you don't achieve it easily, right? And that's the one thing that people tend to do wrong with purpose is they get frustrated when they're not on purpose or they're not meeting their purpose. But the point of purpose is to not meet it. If you meet your purpose, you will lose the drive to live. You will lose the di- drive to create. You'll lose the drive to really amplify what's possible for you. My belief is that life is more like a dance. It's not a journey. It's not, you're not going to a destination. There is no end point. It's a dance. And it actually comes from a gentleman called Alan Watts. I don't know if, if your tribe yeah. is familiar with his work, yeah. but Alan Watts was a philosopher and I might be miss, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing him, so I don't want to quote him per se, but he said something to the tune of life is more like a dance than a journey, which means you don't want the dance to end. The dance's beauty is not the ending of the dance. The dance's beauty is the dance. Does that make sense? So you want the music to keep playing, which means purpose is something that you never really get and you don't want to get there. You want to have a purpose that is extraordinary, is ridiculous in a way, which allows you to have a goalpost and have the dance and really be able to play full out and not get frustrated if you're not at your purpose yet because you're never supposed to meet it. You're just supposed to chase it. It is something that gives you the drive and the fuel to say, hey, I'm creating something to meet that purpose. I'm creating something to meet that outcome, but I know in my lifetime I might not get there and that's absolutely okay because that's not the point of life. The point of life is to dance, is to really enjoy the dance and to keep dancing to different music that shows up in our life. It is not to get to the destination. It has nothing to do to actually get to the horizon because that would be boring and that would be like death. That is so true. I See, I love the fact that you have this complete distinction between the two and how you want to always be driving towards your purpose, even though you perhaps has to be much further away so you can always move towards it. Now, something I'm very, very curious about because you did mention this earlier, and there's this aspect and ideal, which I'm trying to run because you made so many goddamn good points. My brain's kind of like, there's like three that you want to ask him, but why? Which one do you want to lead with first? So bear with me just a second. Um, in the meantime, I'm just going to, because while this question is formulating in my mind, I'm just going to ask you this other question, really. So 
as an entrepreneur as you are how you are do you ever sit down to actually watch movies because i know there is this there is a debate amongst uh, a few of my entrepreneurial friends behind closed doors where they're like i don't watch movies anymore because the way they make me feel and how they impact me whereas the other side of my friends are like i love movies because they're just the, the way they, again same thing the way they make me feel the way they impact me so where do you stand in that debate? Like, are you on the side of like, actually, you know, I do like to sit down and watch a movie and relax, or are you kind of like, I only watch certain movies that have a purpose? Now, that's a very interesting thought. What do these movies make people feel that they don't like? What is, what kind of movies are you watching that they're making you feel bad? I have no idea. Like me personally, I get which movies I don't want to watch. Like I'm not a huge fan of Titanic. Like I don't like Titanic. It's not a great movie in my books for me. I mean, it's a great movie, very visually beautifully made. It won so many awards. Script writing was there. Great. But it's not a movie I'm really into. Um, but I don't know what movies they're watching that are making them feel bad. Like, I get horror movies might be on that list because yeah. it's a horror movie. So, I mean, if you feel... So, for me, I mean, first of all, I think it's a ridiculous thing not to watch movies or not to watch anything. Uh, it's... It's... Okay. So, I'll go back to the point of saying, I mean, what's the point of life? If your point of life for you, if the point of life is, hey, I just want to work my ass off 20 hours a day, well, good for you. Go do that. If that makes you happy, go do that. But don't do it as an escape mechanism. Do it because you love it. And that's what you love for it, right? People become entrepreneurs and sometimes work 18-hour days because that's an escape mechanism for them to not be able to deal with their emotions, not to be able to actually go out and, and meet other people, not to be able to watch movies and have fun with life. If if all of that is not fun for you, don't watch movies, don't go to Disneyland, don't do any other activity, and I'm fine with that, but don't make it an escape mechanism. It becomes an escape is why people tend to do it. And that is just being unfair to your emotional self, and you'll realize that five years later, 10 years later, or on your deathbed when you'll be like, fuck, I could have had so much more fun with my life, right? And you didn't because you thought, well, that's not what the cool kids do or the expectation of the world or you just didn't want to deal with your emotions, right? So firstly, what is the reason why you want to work so hard that you don't want to watch movies or don't want to have fun, right? So if that's the reason why, because that's really like that's that's the only joy that you have in life and it's not an escape route, well, good on you, go do that. But if it's an escape route, you probably want to check in. And you probably want to see if that's really worth it. One of the things that I say in my in, in the book as well, and it's coincidence that it's coming up as context of the book, is we don't need entrepreneurs to kill themselves for our happiness. We don't need that. Nobody, none of us needs that. We don't need entrepreneurs to become assholes. We don't need entrepreneurs to become the bitchy people or disregard their families and create really worse lives for their realities. No, we don't need that. We don't need you to die early in age because you're emotionally just stuck. No, you can create great products and have a great life too. I am really a strong proponent of that. And I do believe entrepreneurs can do that is to have a great life and also live on purpose and also be able to create something that is a phenomenal company. So I, I am in complete uh, uh, opposite of saying that you must have one. I am somebody who likes to work four hours a day, four days a week. That's all that as much work I do. I work 16 hours a week and I'm very happy doing it. The rest of the time, I learn, I study, I meet my friends, I go party, I I, I watch movies. I watch movies freaking every week. I don't care. Uh, till the time it's a good movie. I don't watch bad movies. Yes, I don't want to watch bad movies or poorly rated movies or movies that have no story or horror movies just because I don't like them. 
those movies, yes, I don't watch, but that's because I just don't like them. It's nothing to do with movies. It's more to do with what type of movies I don't like. But I watch the stupid Marvel Cinematic Universe movies like multiple times sometimes. If I yeah. take then a group of friends to watch that stuff, right? And it's kind of pointless in a way. There is not like there's some movies, some of the Marvel movies have storylines. The others don't even have a real story. But who yeah. cares? I it's own that for yeah, yeah, no, so I'm, I do I'm that very much all the time. I'm very much yeah. a proponent of that. Have you seen the John Wick movies at all, or I have? I haven't seen the second one though. I've only seen the first one. What did you uh, the second the one came one? when I was like traveling? It? Yeah, like, no, did... I liked it. It was. Yeah. I mean, it was an action, brainless movie. There's no point really to it. I think it was his dog died or something in the movie, and yeah. he killed like 200 people for it. Uh, <laughs> it was a stupid <laughs> movie, but yeah, so I was like, I watched it. But I wasn't like, oh, the John Wick 2 is coming because it's. I know there's no stories. So I'm not going to enjoy it. But if it's on TV and I don't have anything else better to watch, I will watch it. I don't have a problem with that. It's just yeah. that after watching the first one, I wasn't supremely excited about the second one because I was like, ah, oh, it's kind of brainless. But like Taken movies, they're not really smart, but I've seen all three of them. <laughs> See, I like the Taken, the, the Liam Neeson movie. Yeah, I only yeah, got I've seen all the three first one. I think I only got through yeah, the first saw... one. The same storyline. It makes no sense. It's basically an old guy beating up people, uh, and that's what it is. But I love Liam Neeson, and I watched all three of them. Nothing wrong with that. That's pretty cool. Have I some love fun. That. Why are you starting a company if you're not going to have fun? Your yeah. employees are going to hate you. <laughs> well, have some fun. It's one of the things that I always have as like my own personal thought process is as much time as I spend working, studying, understanding – I need to have as much time like or more time just breaking away, relaxing and doing stuff because like when I sit down to write a project, I usually spend most of my time in research and even then I'm just walking around kind of in a, not in a daze, but I'm kind of like leaving, I'm working internally, but when I'm switched off, I'm like, okay, I'm going to the gym, I'm going to go do jujitsu, guess what? As soon as my mind goes on the mat, as soon as I get into the gym, my mind's like, I'm just here having fun, relaxing. When I'm doing anything else, it's all about having that fun to relax and replenish that creativity for me. So I'm glad I'm glad to see that someone like you actually does watch movies, does have fun, does encourage that because it's, you know, it's more validation towards the thoughts and theories I already have. Um, Here's an idea for anybody who's listening to this podcast. Try to remember when were your best ideas for business, business growth came. Try to remember when was it that you had your best ideas. Most of your best best ideas didn't come out when you were on your computer writing something or when you were on your computer and just like working your ass off. That's not when your best ideas come from. The ideas that grew your business was when you actually had downtime. You were working out. You were at the gym, you were watching something, you were talking to friends, you were at a seminar and you ended up getting a creative idea. Those are the things, those are the places where most of the really good ideas come from there because that's when your brain actually has the time to process all the information that you gave. It might come in the, why do you think people get best ideas during showers? It's or because taking, at that time you're at, or, or meditating, right? Yeah. It's because, or doing yoga or something. Why? Because you're brain is finally getting time to process all the information that it has captured to make sense and create an amazing positive idea. And that's what you want. You want to create more space for it. And as an entrepreneur, if you are the business and you are the only employee, then well, that's not, it's not a business. You're a freelancer and that's okay. But know that that's not a business. That's you running your own time and that's all it is. It's a glorified job. It's not a business. Yeah. 
No, I agree entirely. And then there's something else that you touched upon right there, which is so very powerful in the ideals of understanding of like how people come up with ideas. For me, it's uh, I'm at, I've actually written a post that should be on my site that people can go check out. It's called "Why Entrepreneurs Take Long Shits." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's honestly <laughs> like it. It's it's really weird how I found this out. It was mostly talking to my other entrepreneurial friends uh, that were at my. They they all came around my apartment. We were all hanging out and stuff. And I just had to go to the bathroom. And I know how long I take, so I was in the bathroom for some time, and I came out, and my friends were like, dude, why the fuck does... Like, they didn't say anything, but one of us eventually kind of shut up, spoke, and we're like, why the fuck do we take so long in the bathroom? Because we're all guys, we're all, like, thinking, and we just had this really weird conversation. Um, so that kind of escalated to another time where we were all hanging out, but with, like, some of them got, like, girlfriends and boyfriends, and their partners were there. And they were like, yeah, why, like, no, I don't take that long. Why do you guys take so long? And just end this weird conversation to, like, birth this idea going, oh, because we want downtime and just want to be completely shut down. That's actually one of the reasons why a lot of people take a long time in the bathroom. Um, Because it's just hilarious. Now, something I do want to ask you about, particularly when it comes down to Mind Valley, because I know you had a, I assume you had, like, a huge role in this, just simply because speaking to, I assume this would be kind of one of your brain children, um, to go this way, but you had an expert that taught the 12 mastery steps. I can't remember the name for the life of me. You John know, Butcher. That's the one. How did you get in touch with someone? Like, how did that come about between the two of you? Well, you just, I mean, and- that, that was, that was my co-founder that signed John, but uh, John, we meet authors while going around and meeting people at different events. That's how all of our authors came out. Uh, is that we we meet them at different conferences, different events, different masterminds. So we we I, me and my co-founder, we are. If you really see, we actually travel a lot just for fun. And masterminds is a way for us to have fun and meet friends and hang out with our friends and so forth. So that's why both of us are always on the road. Is not because uh, we like traveling, of course, but at the same point of time, we're like, hey, that's how we meet our friends. Our friends are globally. Last year, me and my wife, we just got married about a year ago. We got married eight different times to each other. Like we did eight different ceremonies uh, between each other. And the reason was because our friends are at so many different places to be able to invite them to just one location just didn't feel right. So one of the reasons was, well, we travel so much and we have our friends everywhere. Why not do different ceremonies? So we did, did ceremonies in Europe, in different parts of Europe. We did ceremonies in Asia, different parts of Asia. We did some ceremonies in the States, in different parts of the States. Just because we were like, hey, that's how we want to celebrate with all our friends. And all our friends are everywhere at this point. And we were like, instead of getting them to come to some place, what if we went there and did a little ceremony everywhere, which was local and native to that culture? That's so cool. I mean, yeah. that, that's just, that's actually amazing. And I'm, again, uh, a late congratulations on your wedding. Thank um, you. So, yeah, I was going to ask, as far as it goes like with like the first year of marriage, though, uh, what's that has... How would you describe that as how how's it been for you? Um, because oh, I know it's been beautiful. People, yeah, uh, it's been beautiful. I mean, we were uh, we were dating for a bit, like we were dating for two years before we got married, and we got married because we wanted to start building a family. Um, and so now we are having a baby. Uh, so we're gonna have a baby by the time this podcast is released. Oh, wow. uh, so that well, that's why we did the official marriage and wedding because previously we were already like married couple, but just 
not with the title, you can say in a way. Uh, I called her girlfriend. I still call her girlfriend sometimes. Um, so it depends on the mood. Uh, but really, that's uh, it's, it's been amazing. I, I think I'm very fortunate. My partner is just an amazing, beautiful soul. She's, she's an entrepreneur herself. Um, very committed, very smart. She balances me in many ways. I balance her in many ways. Uh, but more so, it's just I think one of the key things for for entrepreneurship is great partnership everywhere, uh, yeah. not only at in the in workspace but actually home space. It's because I have such a solid partner at home. It allows me to be able to be even more powerful when I get to work. And say so, I hope it's the same for her. Uh, is I am being a solid partner for her. But yeah. That's incredible. See, I love it when people actually find um, love during entrepreneurship because there are so many entrepreneurs out there who, I've, I've seen this, it's kind of gone online where a lot of people say, why is it so hard to date as an entrepreneur and so on and so forth. But it gives me hope that other people like yourself are with people that they can date. They find that completion within themselves with another. And it's so beautiful, especially in that presence. Um. And that's, that's incredible. Sorry, it's just more or less, I, I always love to uh, ask these kinds of questions because I love to know the person oh. speaking just the way you are. So, my, so taking it back for a second, because I said before the call, so my listeners know this, before this call, I actually told Ajit that I was like, I wasn't going to do the whole, so in your book or whatever it was, because I don't like being that guy. And you guys know this from the amount of authors we've had on here, but there's so many like interesting points that I know that he distills in his book just by reading the synopsis page that there's a lot of questions that come up, but we'll get on that a little bit later. But my question is very relative to that. And it's this, when, if you were to name three books and bear with me one moment, because there is parameters here. If you were to name three books to nonfiction, um, basically three books that changed the impact your life, what three books would they be? And two of them have to be nonfiction. And one of them has to either be a fictional book or a movie that impacted you. What would they mm -hmm. be? Um, so I read a lot. So, and I am, um, just to give context. So sometimes some of my favorite books would not be on the list just because I just read so much that sometimes I even forget what idea came from where. Uh, that was transformative to me. So I apologize in case I don't really always mention the best of the best that actually one should study. Uh, but one of the books that I definitely love a lot is a book called Ultimate Sales Machine by late Chet Holmes. Yep. Um, this was a book that I learned a lot about sales and, and team from, for sure. Um, another book that uh, personal development wise, uh, I, I love my co-founder's book, Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Uh, which is written by my co-founder, Vishen Lakhiani. I think it is one of my favorite books. Uh, but apart from that, if I don't want to mention my co-founder's book, I think Think and Grow Rich is a phenomenal book. There's so many books, man. It's so hard to pick books. Like, it's like, yeah. I'm while I'm saying Think and Grow Rich, I'm like, I can name four other uh, that would be uh, equally powerful. So it will be, it's kind of unfair to ask book best book question. I know I get this at every podcast. I'm like, this is such an unfair question. I can't pick one. Um, uh, and when it comes to nonfiction, honestly, until recently, I wasn't even a reader. Like, I started reading books only about 10 years ago. Uh, before that, I didn't read many books. I only read school books, which made it, uh, which of course, that, which is why I hated books as well, because I didn't really love my schooling. Um, so I don't know many fiction books. So I don't know fictional books. Uh, so I'll take a movie. Um, what was one movie that changed my life? Uh, well, impact. Well, Pursuit of Happiness. Yeah, Pursuit of Happiness. 
uh, was a really good one. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street is a really good one. Um, those would be some of the books, yeah. Uh, movies, sorry. Uh, Pursuit of Happiness is if I have to really pick one, yeah. The Will Smith movie. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I love that. I love the fact that you actually have so many books. It's kind of like, no, there's lots of books. I can't just pick one or two, dude. It's really hard. Because it's, if you it's see my cool. room ever, you will see I always have a stack of books that I'm reading in one way or another. Oh, no. I, I, I relate to you because above my TV, there's... Uh, so when I moved into my place, the guy beforehand was one of my best friends and he left me his TV. Um, great for like seminars and like playing games and stuff but like i had a six foot high bookshelf that was quite narrow so it was like a foot in width or a foot and a half in width and six feet high um and after a while my book collection kept growing and i had like all these boxes of books so i had to like break these down and turn them sideways so i have like two six foot shelves above um my tv and then there's like bookshelves above my piano bookshelves above my bed another bookshelf in my bedroom and like stacks on the coffee table it because I, I love again very similar to you i love reading because you never know when a good idea is going to strike you and it's one of those things so mm-hmm. again it's uh, i like always asking that question just simply because it's always curious what people come up with um but because it's someone like you i can imagine it'd be quite difficult because there's so much there so i guess my uh, so the thing i really wanted to ask you is always like when you're going through like situations in your life where you felt a little bit beat down and life was just kind of getting the upper hand on you for whatever reason um what you like i'm talking like the actual really kind of my confidence is so knocked down it's like the the referee of life is stood over me giving me the 10 count and they're at nine what was it that made you raise before it hit 10 and you said i'm done with this i quit um, if there's ever been it, a situation, I mean, I there was, I've, I've never really quit. So, and it's not to boast about anything, but it's, I, I've had tough times, but I see life as a set of challenges more than a set of, um, you know, things that take you down. And I think that's true for everyone. We just, we just make it a situation that sounds like, oh my God, this situation is the end of me. But usually none of those situations, except if you have a health concern, uh, really is end of you. It's more made up in our minds than actually it is for truth. And and I'm sure if you recall any of those moments, you'll laugh at yourself. You're like, yeah, and I made this as if this was the end of my life. But really, I was just fine after that. So so it is more like that for me at this point. And even before, that's just how I, it, it could be because how I grew up. And that's what I credited to is because my worst case scenario was to go back to a house where 23 other people lived with me which didn't sound that bad. I survived the first 24 years of my life like that. So it was okay. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's it's not that bad. I can always go back and start again. So I've never had a situation where I felt like this is done, done, like my life was done. But the situation's been done, yes, where I said, I think I need to quit this. I think I need to quit this. This happened when I was studying for engineering exams and I was in classroom um, and, and many times I just said, this is just like, I would, A, I'll be a terrible engineer because I hate this shit. Uh, and secondly, I will just hate myself every single day of doing it because I hate this shit. Right. And so that was one of the times when I wrote a letter to my father saying, I gotta leave this. There's because I had no courage to actually tell him because I, like, I, like I already said, I come from humble beginnings. So they had put a lot of money in my training into this thing. And then just simply quit cold turkey i was like sorry i can't do this i just can't i will be terrible at this 
Uh, and so I was fortunate that my father was supportive of it, but that was one time. And then I've done that many times at this point when I feel like something's just not sticking around. And that happens every couple of four or five years, I think, maybe more sometimes. Um, so that has happened two, three times in my life at this point where I was like, I'm done. Like I was married before I was done with that marriage. So I quit. Uh, but it wasn't where I was going, oh, shit, this is the end of me. It was more like this is the end of this phase. I need to find something different. I need to create something different. I need to challenge myself differently. That's incredible. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, I, this is one of those things. So, guys, you'll notice I'm relatively very quiet on the show today. It's only because... Every time I just speaks, I'm like being dropped, knowledge bombs are being dropped in my brain right now, like crazy. So like my brain's kind of like, damn, gotta really think about this. I'm going to be going back and listening to the show again. Um, and finally, I guess my last question, um, I'm going to bypass my last question. Because my last question is usually what advice would you give someone that is going through a situation where their financial flow is kind of stagnant or they need, a, they need to get out of the funk. Now, you can feel free to answer that. But my actual recommendation to anyone listening to this is actually go pick up the book and re-listen to the show because I've just given you like a ton of stuff that's already here to help you get out of the funk. Um, but yeah, that's just like where my brain's at. I mean, feel free to like jump in at any point here, by the way, just because like your stuff is amazing from just <laughs> having this conversation with you. Thank you very much, Adil. Uh, so yes, get the book. The book is written for you to actually get out of the funk every single time you read any chapter in the book. That's really the idea behind it. Like I said, it's not a book that you want to read. You can read sequentially, but you don't have to read sequentially. You can just pick any chapter and start from there uh, because it is written for a perspective shift. It is written for insights. It's written for uh, for you to have a different perspective on what you are looking at right now and as concerning you in life. So ideally, it should shift your perspective and help you create a new strategy. I'll also take on the question of what if you were in a financial struggle right now or you're feeling that you're in a funk Usually, and again, this is a very generalized answer. Everybody is different and gets a different response usually when we have a conversation. But a generalized answer would be usually funk happens because you're stuck, which means there is no motion. There's no motion happening in your life. There is nothing that you're chasing. There's nothing that you're, and by chasing, it's not a negative chase. It's the pursuit of happiness in a way, right? It's the pursuit to create more. If there is no pursuit is when we feel stuck. We feel stagnant and stagnant when you have stagnancy is when you have that funk coming in because you feel like there is no movement in life. The best way to get past any funk is to create something new and to challenge yourself to create something new. So, And it doesn't have to be something perfect. It doesn't have to be a new product or anything like that. It could just be a new vision sometimes. And that's enough of a driver, is to go back to learning and that sometimes gets you to create something new and that gets you out of the funk. Most of the times when I have been stuck in my life, the thing that I have done is go back to books, go back to study material, go back to programs, go back to a seminar, because that puts me and gives me a different perspective. And a different perspective is all you need sometimes to get you out of fun. Hopefully, in this episode, you would be able to find a few nuggets that would have shifted your perspective and will get you out of the funk. If not, maybe the book will get you out of the funk. But I'm pretty confident if we can shift your perspective to a creation mode versus a stagnant mode, you will get out of funk. Yeah, there's no way, there's no two ways about it. I actually don't doubt that in the slightest. 
Guys, go check out um, livebigthebook.com. It should redirect you to Amazon where you can actually pre-order the book today. If you live in the UK like I do, I think you can also find it on the UK for delivery over here. Um, and it's actually just really, really cool. Ajit, thank you so much for actually taking the time for uh, to actually being on the show and actually being so open and just dropping knowledge bombs like crazy. It's insane. Thank you very much, Adel. Thank you very much. I'm glad I could help. Definitely, guys, go check out um, go check out the URL as well, livebigthebook.com, uh, but also check out ajitnawalka.com, uh, that's N-A-W-A-L-K-H-A, -A, uh, which is Ajit's uh, main site, and of course you'll learn more about the man from there as well as getting on his list, finding out more about him, and just more or less just, you know, following him. I'm sure you'll find a lot of great knowledge and information there. Ajit, it's been a pleasure having you on here, my friend. Uh, hope you have an amazing week ahead and more shows to come. And when the show comes out as well, of course, it'll be around the same time the book launches. Um, have an amazing book launch. I know you'll absolutely smash it and change so many people's lives with the work that you're doing. Thank you, Adel. It was a pleasure to be here. All right, guys. Take care. I'll see you guys on the next episode.